Welcome to the third in a series of concerts from the Phelps Mansion Museum Ballroom as part of the Binghamton Philharmonic Orchestra's year-long Beethoven project. I'm Bill Snyder, and on this week's program, we'll be hearing an all-Beethoven program performed by violinist Catherine Gradievich manker cellist Brian Manker, and pianist Wei Tong Huang. Violinist Catherine Grauderjevich Manker is a native of Cleveland, the daughter of a much-loved professor of piano at the Cleveland Institute of Music, Olga Radosavlievich. Catherine graduated from the Cleveland Institute and taught in the preparatory department and then at the University of North Carolina. She currently teaches for the McGill University Music Conservatory in Montreal. Pianist Wei Tang Huang was born in Taipei, Taiwan, and studied at the Cleveland Institute of Music with Catherine's mother. He later moved to Yale University to pursue a degree in computer science. The program begins with Ludwig van Beethoven's Violin Sonata No. 8 in G, Opus 30, No. 3. Catherine Grotojevich Manker introduces it. Good afternoon. It's nice to be back here in Binghamton, which is my second hometown because of uh, being married to Brian Manker, who's from here. And a uh, warm welcome to my friend, Wei Tang Wang, who I've known since he was probably about 10 or 11 years old when he came to study with my mom in Cleveland. So uh, this is truly a family affair. A few words about the Beethoven Sonata, a very simple three movement sonata from his uh, early middle period of uh, composition, which uh, when musicians say early middle period of Beethoven, we're talking about still a very uh, confident, happy um, piano playing Beethoven. This is uh, before he really hit the, the hard times of his uh, hearing problems. And um, this sonata is dedicated to the Tsar Alexander I of Russia which about 10 years after this sonata is composed, he is the czar who was able to defeat Napoleon when he uh, tried to conquer Russia. And what else? You'll, you're going to hear some early experimentations of Beethoven with syncopations and heavier accents on beats that are not main beats, but off beats. And he's really trying to provoke you and uh, uh, play little tricks with the rhythm, uh, which later on in his later periods of composition becomes more and more of a, of a bigger um, thing that he does. So I hope you enjoy the sonata. Thank you. 
The Violin Sonata No. 8 in G, performed by violinist Catherine Gradievich Manker and pianist Wei Tang Huang, on an all-Beethoven concert from the ballroom of the Phelps Mansion Museum in Binghamton. Brian Manker grew up in Binghamton in a musical family. He graduated from the New England Conservatory and was principal cellist of the North Carolina Symphony and is currently principal cellist of the Montreal Symphony Orchestra. He is also the cellist of the new Orford String Quartet and teaches at McGill University. Here he is with pianist Wei Tang Huang to introduce and perform Beethoven's Cello Sonata No. 4 in C, Opus 102, No. 1, in an all-Beethoven recital from the ballroom of the Phelps Mansion Museum. celebrating Beethoven. What's that all about? Why does anybody care? Um, what is it about Beethoven that's special? It's not just that he was perhaps the best-selling composer ever, although that helps. Uh, 
you know, and he's kind of the face of classical music, perhaps. You know, everybody knows what, who Beethoven is and what he looks like. But I think there's more to it than that. The music, of course, is fabulous. But for me, um, there's so many things about the man himself and his life that I think are important to all of us. He came from a relatively small city, Bonn, which at that time was really a backwater culturally, and, and just not very, you know, it wasn't very important. It wasn't on the way to anywhere. Nobody famous was really from there. Um, and as a result, in order to advance his career, it was necessary to go somewhere else. Uh, that's a familiar story for many of us, of course. And uh, he had, no, I know. <laughs> that isn't what I meant. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he had an, he had an abusive fa alcoholic father and came from, a, I think, a really difficult background. And the community around him banded together and raised money to send him off to the big city of Vienna, sort of like a scholarship, if you will, where he was going to study composition with Haydn, who of course was the great older master of that time. And um, a famous count even wrote in the book, you know, the little sort of farewell book, that he was going to go to Vienna to receive Mozart's spirit from Haydn's hands, which, you know, is sounds very spiritual, but really he was just going to study music. Um, and that important event catapulted this young man into uh, an environment which was, of course, very stimulating for him. And I think he was a very competitive young person as well. So he was a, primarily at that point a performing pianist, and his ego was very wrapped in the piano and in those contests with his peers. And in those days, instead of having, you know, top 40 or something like that, or, or um, I don't know, American Idol or something like that on television, the, the social equivalent was some rich count or duke or somebody would have a gathering in his house, and they would have somebody playing the piano, and sometimes they would have duels between so-and-so's favorite pianist and the other count's favorite pianist, and they would have a sort of a you know, a face-off between the two of them. And Beethoven, it seems, invariably won those contests um, and became then, you know, socially very desirable person to have in your, in your space uh, as, a, as a wealthy patron. And this idea of patronage is, is important. Catherine, I think, maybe said something about how the first piece you heard was written for the Tsar of Russia. So even at that point already, you had a little suspicion that Beethoven maybe was colluding with the Russians already. <laughs> and, that, and that actually becomes quite a thing throughout his lifetime in Vienna. He, he became uh, very close to a Russian count, Rezimovsky, who was the ambassador from Tsar Alexander to the court in Vienna. Very, very important position during the Napoleonic Wars very, very important position, a very influential man, and also a music lover. He fancied himself quite the violinist, I think, although reports mostly say otherwise. Um, but he also, as a result, was really a patron of the arts and had a string quartet that lived in his house, and he commissioned many, many works, and is a very important figure, which we'll come back to it, particularly for the trio that we're going to play at the end. But uh, so Razumovsky, very important man, 
uh, Beethoven has this long relationship with him through this period and uh, develops quite fruitfully for Beethoven. Second thing about Beethoven, of course everybody knows that he went deaf, but that didn't happen overnight, that happened gradually. And at the point he was writing the sonata, the violin sonata you heard, he was hearing very well. And he was a young man in his early 30s, full of himself and full of you know, the powers of youth of 30 years old. And a uh, very different attitude, I think, towards life and music than he had in the following years when he discovered he was going deaf and had to decide what he was going to do with himself. And suicide certainly crossed his mind. There is a famous letter that basically alludes to that, which he never sent. He put it in his desk, and it stayed there all his life. Um, so what, what to do? His solution to that was, I'm going to just do this thing that I know how to do, and I'm going to do it the best I can for as long as I can. And uh, that kind of affirmative spirit really permeates the works from the time of that sonata that you heard up until around 1810, 1811, which is the time of the trio that we will play after intermission. And this is a, these are the works that we really think of when we think of Beethoven, these middle period so-called works. Middle period meaning works that are written after he knew he was going deaf, but isn't completely deaf, and he's grappling with his future. Those works are almost infallibly optimistic in the end. They often have some feeling of triumph and overcoming involved in the sort of the, you know, the hidden narrative of the work. You think of the Fifth Symphony or the Seventh Symphony or any of those pieces, and they are, they're, they're ecstatic at the end. They're wonderful. Um, how could he keep that up, you ask? Well, he certainly had more and more trouble, as his hearing went, finding uh, a way to write music and struggled finding a way to do that. And it sort of culminates around the time of this, before this sonata, around the time of the trio, with a period of complete writer's block for about three years, where he really isn't writing anything. And that time period is uh, also the time when, if you know anything about his life and the story of the immortal beloved, the mystery woman that he fell in love with, that would have been around 1812, that letter and uh, another huge crisis of confidence and of you know, what to do with oneself um, in his life. So this sonata then comes at the end of this blackout period where there's hardly any music written. And he's, his deafness has progressed to the point where it's, it's difficult. Socially, he's in rooms and cannot understand what people are saying. He becomes antisocial, understandably probably very, really honestly depressed. And uh, this sonata suddenly appears, and it's very different than anything that's written before. All those middle period works I was talking about follow kind of a template or a, you know, a process which is very, we all, we all follow it very easily when we're listening. This sonata, on the other hand, there is no real precedent for it, and it doesn't have predecessors either. It's very unique. Um, it has maybe a slight relationship to an earlier Baroque sonata where it has a slow, fast, slow, fast kind of a structure, but that's about it. Um, it has strange silences in it. It has very abrupt things that happen, and it has just things happen in quick succession. There's not a sense of process maybe going through the music, of resolution to something that's been set up 
things just explode and then they go quiet and then they're back out again. Um, very unusual sonata. It was written in 1814 and I guess we'll play it, shall we? <laughs> there, I got your attention, I hope. <laughs>
The Cello Sonata Number no. 4 in C, performed by cellist Brian Manker and pianist Wei Tong Huang, in a concert from the ballroom of the Phelps Mansion Museum on WSKG Classical. Here are all three of today's performers, violinist Catherine Gradievich Manker, cellist Brian Manker, and pianist Wei Tong Huang. Cellist Brian Manker will introduce the last piece on the program. Okay, housekeeping again, so I guess I will talk a little bit more, hopefully shorter than last time. Um, the piece we're about to play, the Archduke Trio, is named such because it was composed for an Archduke. That's the only real reason. It has nothing to do with any royal blood in the trio or anything like that. It uh, is a piece, as I said in the first remarks I made about the middle period of Beethoven, this piece is very much in the same template as other pieces of Beethoven, particularly a string quartet, Opus 59, number one, which this has very similar pattern to it. Um, and that's kind of typical of Beethoven in that earlier period of his life where he's, he has an idea, and he might have had the idea when he was 20, and he writes a piece. And then he kind of comes back to the idea and tries to write a better version of that idea. And then when he's 40, he tries to write a better version of that idea. And that would be this piece. That would be this one. So this is really right at the end of this great period of composition where he was, you know, all the masterpieces that we know and love. This is right at the end of that period. And once again, Russians figure in in this one in the sense that uh, the two members of the trio, the violinist and the cellist, were... Uh, the two of the players from Count Razumovsky's quartet. And the first public performance of the piece took place in 1814, although the piece was written earlier. The first public performance was 1814. And poor Beethoven took it upon himself to play the piano in public. And of course, he was fairly deaf at that point. And there are two different accounts of that by different composers that were there attesting to the fact that he, he would either hit the piano too hard and the keys, you know, the, the strings would jangle or he would play it so soft that nothing would come out and he seemed unaware that that was happening. And so whatever greatness he had had as a young man, as a pianist coming to Vienna was gone. And that uh, was the last time that anybody heard him play in public, which I think is very, very sad. Um, the piece is long and spacious. Uh, he takes his time in this one in a way that that other sonata that I played does not. It's very abrupt. This is long, long, expansive piece and uh, lovely, a masterwork. Hope you enjoy it.
Thank you.
the trio number seven in B-flat, opus 97, the Archduke Trio by Ludwig von Beethoven, performed by violinist Catherine Gradievich Manker, cellist Brian Manker, and pianist Wei Tong Huang. You've been listening to a concert from the ballroom of the Phelps Mansion Museum. It was part of the year-long Beethoven project from the Binghamton Philharmonic Orchestra. The performance was recorded on Sunday, November 17th, by Jeff Stahara of Nuclear Studios. I'm Bill Snyder. Thanks for joining us for this concert from the Phelps Mansion Museum on listener-supported public radio, WSKG Classical.